0: Hey, you're listening to The Credit Roll, an original podcast by Jamun. I'm Obanith, a filmmaker, and like a lot of you tuning in, I'm looking to get better at what I do. In every episode of this show, I'll be speaking with professionals in the Indian film industry, discussing their process, their journey, and all the struggles they faced along the way. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Sunitara Porvala, and she was a screenwriter for Academy Award-nominated film Salaam Bombay, as well as Mississippi Masala, The Namesake, Such a Long Journey, My Own Country, Dr. Baba Saheb Ambedkar, Girl Rising, and more recently, she wrote and directed Little Zizu and of course, the just-released Ye Vale, which we'll be focusing on today. Suni, you've had a remarkable career, and I speak for many when I say your work has been incredibly influential. I'm really, really excited to have you here today, so welcome to the show. Thank you. So, let's dig right into Ye Ballet. This is a story that began as a VR documentary about two young dancers, Manish and Amiruddin, as well as their teacher
1: Yehuda. What was it that drew you to their stories? I have a son called Jahan Bhattiwala who was working in Anand Gandhi's nemesis Lab and they were making 360 degree films there. And he came home one day and said um, they were interested in getting directors to direct short VR films for them and would I be interested? And I was because I'm always eager to learn new things. Uh, Shubhangi Swaroop, who was at that time working there she is now a celebrated author anyway she drew up a list of subjects and met me and in that list was the story about uh two boys manish johan and amiruddin shah and their teacher yehuda mayor and i was really amazed i'd never heard about them and um i was instantly drawn to their story and that's how i came upon this subject and was there something specific
0: about their story that you really connected with
1: yeah the ballet part because I learned ballet as a kid I was very bad at it but I know that when I learned it it was very niche very elitist but uh, it was kind of unheard of for boys to dance ballet when I was doing ballet there were no absolutely no boys and um, So this combination of them being from, you know, economically challenged backgrounds, being boys, dancing ballet, totally fascinated me. That's what drew me to the subject. I'm curious then, what compelled
0: you to translate it to a feature film? Was it bringing the story to a larger audience or expressing something about the story that
1: only a feature film could? No, just... uh... Widening the story, but my VR documentary was only 14 minutes. But uh, these boys and Yelda, I mean, the story was amazing. And there was so much that I could not explore in the VR documentary. And so I wanted to open it up and tell their stories as well as I could. And that was the motivation of making a feature.
0: Okay, right. And you mentioned in an interview that you cried when you first saw Manish and Amaru then dance together. What made you react so strongly to their performance and where they were dancing?
1: It wasn't even a studio. It was just uh, a place with uh, stone floors in which they had the class. And these boys had worn out shoes and these stone floors to dance on, but soon as they started they took my breath away and I could not believe what I was seeing because these two boys were so much better than we ever were or ever could be and that includes the best dancers of my class and I was not one of them Um, and that's what made me cry because I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Okay and
0: getting into the feature film now, what was the casting process like? On one hand, you have Manish playing himself as Nishu, and you have Achintya playing Amiruddin. How did you decide casting them?
1: My biggest stress was when uh, when I knew that Amir couldn't be in the film. Uh, when I originally planned for the film, I auditioned both Amir and Manish, and thankfully they were both very natural in front of the camera, and so I was very relieved. But then Amir was at the Royal Ballet School in London and he realized that he could not both uh, be a Royal Ballet student as well as act in a film. And also the school was not keen for students to do anything besides ballet. So that meant that I had to look around for someone who could dance as well as Amir did, who could act and who could do hip-hop because in a country where no boys dance ballet, very few boys dance ballet. And so Tess Joseph, my wonderful casting director, went on a hunt far and wide, you know, Delhi, uh, Chennai, Mumbai, and we really couldn't or didn't find anybody suitable. Yauda called me one day and told me that there was a boy that I should come see. Uh, Yoda used to teach in a place called Danceworks. That's where Amir and Manish were also taking classes. And Danceworks was having a performance, one of the annual performances. And he said, come see this boy who might be a possibility. He sent me a photo of a and I was instantly fell in love. So I went to the performance with, you know, high hopes of course, Achintya was not doing ballet. He's an urban and jazz contemporary dancer, and he was very good in what he was doing. And then I met him after, and um, he told me his mom knew me. His mom actually was in in uh, films. And then in private, I asked uh, Yehuda, did he, did I, did he think that Achintya would be able to come up to Amrits level and ballet in a few months and you know, Yehuda said, um, uh, "Maybe I'm not sure because his ballet was very basic." The reason Yehuda knew him is because he was in Yehuda's class, but you know, he was he was not an advanced student in ballet at all. Um, so then I uh, we had this amazing uh, choreographer slash ballet dancer, ex-ballet dancer, prima ballerina called Cindy Jourdain, French, who danced professionally with the Royal Ballet. And I was so lucky that she was in Bombay. I I made her the choreographer and the trainer for the ballet. Um, So she trained Achintya. As it happened, our shoot got delayed by six months. And so Achintia had six months of solid training with Cindy. Uh, he trained in hip-hop in the morning uh, with my hip-hop choreographer called Vithal Patil and his boys in a suburb in Malad. Then he would go to Cindy for ballet. And that's how he came up to Amrit's level. And he, I call him a miracle boy because... When Manish came in, much later, Manish was abroad and he, uh, Achintia started training in October. Manish came in January. And then when they started dancing together, that's when I realized and blessed my lucky stars and all the gods above for sending me Achintia, for sending me Cindy, because that's how the film got made. Otherwise, it would not have worked. Achintia needed to be very convincing because in the film, you know, he's the one with the natural talent who who is the teacher's favorite. And so his ballet had to be up to that level. Otherwise, the story would not have been believable.
0: And I wanted to ask you then, was your directing approach different for the two, considering Manish was playing himself and Achintia was playing a real person? Was it different for both of them?
1: Uh, not really, because um, for both of them, I put them... Uh, in an acting workshop, through tests and through my first AD, Ananya, I found this wonderful, wonderful person called Puja Saroop, who's a fantastic actress herself. And she ran a workshop, which was just what I was looking for. An environment where everybody, not just the boys, but everybody could explore their characters Figure out their families, figure out, you know, be comfortable, be familiar with this world that had been created, and know who was who, etc, and because I had a very tough schedule, and there was no time for them to be exploring their characters once they got on set. So Puja is the one who prepared them, who gave them confidence, who taught them certain tips, etc. But once we got on set, all of that kind of vanished and then we were on set, you know. Uh, It's it's a strange thing that happens that all the prep you do, and this is my experience of it, like even with short breakdowns, etc. You prep extensively, but once you get on location, you're going with the flow. And so that's how. So both the kids knew what I was looking for primarily was a naturalistic performance I was not looking for any dramatics and I'm always open to improvisation Manish actually this being his own story lot of the lines came from him and I welcomed them for Achintya, I told him you are not imitating Amir you are the character of Asif. I didn't want him to be awed by, you know, having to mimic or imitate Amir, who he knew actually from ballet class. Same with uh, Julian. I wanted Julian to play the character of Saul. This is also why I changed the names. I I didn't want him to be imitating Yehuda.
0: Yeah, I guess it allows for a more organic performance.
1: Yes, and freedom.
0: Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about the last scene of the film. It shows Nishu and Asif looking out the window of an airplane as they finally begin their journey abroad, and it hits really hard. It's such a memorable, proud, and emotional moment for the two. What was it like directing Manish, who was reliving that moment as Nishu?
1: Well, uh, I'm laughing because I'm just thinking back to every shot. It. it was our first... It was on our first day of shoot. It was the first scene we shot oh, wow. of the film. Okay. And okay. the plane was actually in one corner of uh, Golden Tobacco Factory. And my uh, production designer, Shailajar Sharma, had created this uh, section of the plane in one corner. And it couldn't be more different from Manish's real experience because he was looking out of the window at a green screen. <laughs> he had a camera in his face so there there was no um uh that was an acting job for him I'm sure in some way he did go back to you know the real day of him leaving etc but As I said, he was not looking at the lights of Mumbai as he lifted into the sky. He was looking at a green screen.
0: (laughs) I like the contrast in that shot between how Nishu and Asif are reacting, because on one hand, Nishu is so excited and chirpy, but Asif, who's been in some ways this not afraid of anything kind of person, you see fear and trepidation in his eyes and expression, and it was really poignant, and I really connected to that moment.
1: I'm so glad we got that. You're the first person who mentioned it, but it was a very conscious decision. I just wanted to reverse the roles. And I had a Chintia clutch his seat and kind of break out into a into a sweat while, uh, you know, Nishu was the excited one. So I'm so happy you got that.
0: <laughs> it was a really beautiful moment. And and it reminded me of the first time I left India uh-huh. to go to college. You captured the bittersweet, yeah. nervous excitement of that entire farewell really well.
1: Actually, the the farewell at the airport with everyone being there was also... A kind of reference to the time I left for the first time, which was in 1975, when leaving was a really, really big deal. At that time, airports used to have photographers who would take a picture and then give you a print. And so I have a black and white picture of me in the middle with a garland around my neck and 25 like family and friends who had come to see me off. So that was one reference. And the second was that I wanted to make it a kind of like final finale curtain call where you see everyone who has impacted the boys. Family and friends, so that was the idea behind the whole. I could easily have done it with just their two families and and Saul, but I wanted everyone else there as well.
0: Well, I think that entire sequence beautifully captures the beginning of something new for Manish and Asif as well as Yehuda. And while we're talking about these characters, I wanted to ask you: yebale is a film about teenagers. You've done a few films now that focus on youth and childhood. What draws you to that world?
1: When I did Salaam Bombay, I think I was just still an overgrown kid who had not matured. And uh, I've always been attracted to stories about childhood. I think uh, even when I was uh, studying, when I was an undergraduate, I was attracted to the romantic poets because they wrote about childhood. I was attracted to films that spoke about childhood, like Fellini's films, like Truffaut's 400 Blows. Uh, it was just an attraction and it has continued, you know. So.
0: Okay, and I also want to talk a bit about Saul. He's a character that is told to go to hell several times throughout the film. He smashes a stranger's car expects Nishu and Asif to cook for him. And at least very early in the film, he has no patience for all of India's quote-unquote quirks. One of my favorite lines is, I'm not a tourist. Fuck your namaste. (laughs) That was a great line. So it's a very unconventional portrait of a foreigner in India. Yet there is a very relatable humanity within him So I wanted to ask, what drew you to Saul,
1: or should I say Yehuda as a character? Uh, One thing is that Yehuda is not Saul in totality. I took little bits of Yehuda and I made this character who is called Saul. So in real life, Yehuda, yes, was when he first came in. He was taken to an Israeli guest house in Delhi, not Bombay. And he was totally overwhelmed by, you know, the noise and the dirt and everything. He, he, he's still not completely at home, though he is now much more. But he still needs to be guided through Bombay, etc. So I took that. And, you know, one thing I didn't want this character to be was like this foreign savior. And so I cut back on the foreign savior bit by upping just the impatience and the hating India and all that. And uh, Yoda has never broken anybody's car. Okay. (laughs) I want to say that up front. That was a bit crazy. Uh, So yeah, it, it was a character that I created. But of course, the other stuff is all there, you know, him discovering them and having faith in them and them actually living with him and him, you know, spending money on them. All that, all that is true.
0: Right. Which is what brings out the more human qualities in him and makes him so relatable.
1: Yeah. And also in a film like Yoda know, has been here many years now. He's much, much more mellow now, but it took him all these years to become mellow. In a film, I only had an hour and a half. So I had to up the beginning part so that the transformation would be that much more obvious. I didn't have that much time to go from him being an angry, hating India character to saying, you know, Namaste India, which was incidentally Julian's line. He came up with it. And I'm
0: wondering then, how do you get yourself as a writer to empathize with such a cantankerous character like Saul?
1: You know, if you look at him, he actually has reason to be angry. I mean, he's picked up from the airport and put in this dump of a place. You know, Um, uh, he's expecting... Um, a proper dance studio and he's walking into this space where you know this man is sweeping up all this dust and he doesn't know where he's come he's expecting ballet students who know ballet but finds that nobody (laughs) knows ballet so what is he gonna teach them how is he gonna ever get them up to any level so if you look at it that way he certainly has some cause to be upset the fact that he's so upset is what makes it funny. Right. Okay. I see. And shifting focus now to
0: Nishu, the way Nina's parents talk about him as if he were is is a rather heartbreaking moment in the film. I think it emphasizes a lack of empathy on part of the more privileged of India towards the less privileged. What do you think we need more or less of in India to get people like that to feel more empathy?
1: I spent 10 years researching and writing a script about Dr. Ambedkar. And as a Parsi who grew up in Bombay and had no idea about the caste system, it was a revelation to me, you know, how embedded and ingrained the caste system is in India. Dr. Ambedkar thought that, you know, we would be able to um, get rid of reservations, you know, in 10, 15 years. Little did he know that this kind of horrendous exploitation of Dalits would continue and still continues to this day, right? So it's such a deeply ingrained system. And he had said that, you know, caste spreads its poison Amongst everyone, not just Hindus, it's in the fabric of India, this business about hierarchy. I think the young generation are our only hope. Situations where young people from various castes and various classes can intermingle, such as in a dance studio, is our only hope of being rid of that. Yeah,
0: and you know, Another thing I wanted to talk about in terms of Nishu is how his story involves parental opposition towards his aspiration to become a dancer. Mm -hmm. This type of story, I feel, has become such a prominent narrative for modern day India. Why do you think it's so difficult for Indian parents to let their children do what they want to do?
1: I think it has to do with economic security when you're not so economically well-off, you give your child or children every opportunity, everything that you can afford and not afford so that they can do better than you did, That's so that they can go to college, that they can get a job, so that they can be economically secure. Now, after doing that, if your son or daughter wants to throw it all away and say, I'm going to do something that has no economic security, that is, uh, I'm following my heart. It, that's a bit tough to take as parents because I think parents are so eager that, you know, their children should just do better than them. The thing is that parents don't realize that it's a new world and kids can make a decent living doing something like dancing. It's not like the old days. And that's what I hope parents realize when they see Ye Balai.
0: Okay, and I also want to talk a bit about how Ye Bale deals with religious conflict. It is a prominent theme in the film with Asif's Muslim background conflicting with both more conservative Hindu and Muslim individuals. Like parental opposition, this narrative too is sort of ingrained in the history of India. Yet, despite all the pushback, Asif's father ultimately embraces his son's passion. What do you think that says about this conflict?
1: Well, one thing is that we tend to look at people in broad categories and stereotype them so if you are Muslim, then you think in this way, if you are Hindu, you think in this way. And people are individuals and they don't necessarily fall into those categories. Amir's family, the real Amir's family, certainly did not. Uh, they believed in somebody who I think is someone like a Sufi saint. Amir's- And his family actually lived next to a Sai Baba temple. And when I went on the last day before he was leaving to go to Oregon and final farewells and goodbyes and you know, I was taking photographs and suddenly Ahmed disappeared and I said, where's he gone? And they said, next door. And next door was the Sai Baba temple and he was there, you know, kind of praying and he knew everybody there. And it really surprised me and it really gave me a lot of hope and heart. Uh, This is what India is. This is what the city is also, you know. And that's what I wanted to bring out more than religious conflict. That's what I wanted to bring out, this... Coexistence in the city of so many different religions and so many different communities. Coexistence when we're allowed to coexist, when we're not cynically kind of pitted against each other and made to fight each other, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a really level-headed and hopeful way of looking at the situation. One would hope more can see India the same way. And now moving into more... Uh, technical questions, as a photographer with a strong visual style of your own, what was your relationship like with Garthik Vijay, the DOP of your belly?
1: It was a dream. We really were in sync, we were on the same page, we have similar tastes, and he gave me everything I was looking for and more. We had a long period of prep. Uh, We started the shoot in April, 2019. But I met him around October, November 2018. And he's been on the film since then. We had several conversations. We shared photographs. I love this photographer, Alex Webb, as a reference. He loved it too. I wanted us to use color. I I didn't want a gray and drab kind of tharawi look. I wanted it to be colorful. And I love the way Alex Webb uses color and uses light and backlight and so we shared those references but never wanting him to imitate that or mimic that but just as something that i love and then we talked about movement i was very anxious for the camera to move a lot karthik uh, chose a fantastic camera and made a rig so that he was hand holding it 95 percent of the time yeah so it was a very satisfying and full on collaboration with him that I would repeat any day. <laughs>
0: right and just out of curiosity do you think at some point in the future you'd ever venture to do the cinematography of your never, own film?
1: Never never no. never. Okay. It's a totally different ball game. And it's very arrogant to assume that just because you're still a photographer, you can go out and shoot a film. It's, it's, they're very different things. And also when you talked about my style, it's not that I want to impose my photography style on a film I'm making. The film is its own beast, you know. I'm not looking to duplicate the way I take photographs to the way I make films. Uh, The only advantage for me is that, yes, I do have a visual sense. Yes, I do understand light. Yes, I do understand lensing. And I do understand framing and what I want or what I like in terms of a visual image. But that's as far as it goes. (laughs) I can't create it myself.
0: Okay, fair enough. And moving away from technicalities, I want to ask you a question about advice. There's these wonderful shots in the film where Asif practices ballet while standing in line for water. Nishu does sort of the same thing while cleaning a mirror and mopping the ground. I was reminded of um, Boman Arani's judge character in the film who says, fate sides with the person who works 24-7 to fulfill their dreams. What do you think is the equivalent for aspiring screenwriters or directors? Is it just writing all the time and making as many films as possible?
1: Yeah. <laughs> The short and sweet answer? Yes. Just write as much as you can. First of all, writing is really not an investment. You don't even need any equipment. And I say that so often, but it's really true. It's not like photography or cinematography or anything. You don't need any equipment. All you need is an investment of time. In terms of making films, when I started out, you know, you needed film departments. That's why you needed to go to film school so you could get your hands on some film equipment. Now you have a phone on which you can make a film. (laughs) So, you know, you have all the tools at your disposal. Use them. Make small films. You can shoot. You can edit. You can do everything using either your phone or a DSLR. So it's a very exciting time to be a filmmaker. But of course, there's a lot more competition as well because everyone <laughs> is a potential filmmaker, just like everyone is a potential photographer these days. But, you know, that's that's what it is. And
0: for aspiring screenwriters who have a screenplay ready to shoot but lack the resources available to do so, what do you think are some good next steps?
1: Okay, there are a couple of things. One is... Do you, as a young person who's just written a screenplay, know any young people who want to direct? Do you know any young people who want to be cinematographers? Do you know any young people who've gone to film school? And if you don't, there are many networks where you can find them, you know, Facebook groups or whatever. So I would maybe go down that route. Or if you want to go down the more mainstream route, then you first thing you do always, always, always is register your script. You register it with Screenwriters Association here, but you can also register it with WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America. They charge $10 if you're a member, $20 if you're not a member. So I'm always like really cautious and register both places. So after you register your script, you take it out into the world to production companies to platforms well maybe not directly to platforms but definitely explore production companies everyone's saying they want content so it's a delicate balance between going out there and still being a little cautious and hoping nobody kind of um, steals your ideas
0: Okay, and for aspiring dancers, whether it's ballet or dance in general, I know that getting the opportunity to go to prestigious foreign conservatories is the golden ticket, but considering all the barriers, like you mentioned in the film with visas and whatnot, what do you think we need more of in India so that they can achieve the
1: same dreams here? Or do we already have what we need? Well, in terms of dance, there's a lot going on. You know, my very dear friend, Shamak Gawa, who's been a childhood friend, always had my back, He has classes all over India, all over abroad. He has scholarships for people who can't afford it, classes for um, physically challenged kids, classes for all kinds of students. So there's a lot going on. I know DanceWorks also does the same. In terms of ballet, it's still very niche, but, you know, sometimes if you think you have the kind of talent that these boys had, then there are ways of you know, joining a class and Yauda still teaching here and having someone like him notice you and taking it from there. But ballet is a very, very, very tough dance form. And not only is it tough, it, it, there are certain things you need. You need ballet feet. You need a ballet body. there there are things that are out of your control you know you can practice as much as you want but if you don't have a ballet arch if you don't have a ballet body you won't get that far. and the other tough thing about ballet is that no matter how tough it is you always have to have a smile on your face it's not like an athlete who's you know grunting and like a tennis star who's serving and grunting ballet you're putting in that same effort and it's as tough but you're doing it with a smile on your face i guess it speaks to how much people who do ballet
0: really love it if they're willing to put themselves through that much pain oh
1: very very physically painful and you have to hide it you know there are pictures on the net of the feet of ballerinas you know you see the ballet shoe the ribbon the you know pointed arch, oh, looks beautiful. They take off their shoes and their feet are mangled. They're ugly and they're bloody, which is, I think, what Black Swan was going for, you know, to, to show the dark underbelly of ballet, but I think that went too far. <laughs> so moving into
0: my last question here, is there a moment you think back on when making a Ballet that strikes you
1: as particularly special? I don't have any singular moments. There were lots of them. And ending with a spectacular experience of watching it on the big screen for the first and only time. (laughs) But, you know, we made it for, it was made like a film. Uh, We had excellent sound. I had a great sound designer to Seja. We went to Abbey Road for the sound mix and, you know, Tarthik's amazing cinematography, Shaila Jai Sharma's amazing production design. You know, it's, it's a very, technically it's a, it's a really good film and it looks fantastic on the big screen. So that was the one time I saw it and I hope I hope, fingers crossed, I'll be able to watch it on a big screen sometime again.
0: I guess, ultimately, as a filmmaker, most of the time, nothing beats seeing the film you and so many others have worked so hard on on a massive screen with an audience.
1: And also, it's a generational thing, because I'm old enough that I grew up with the big screen experience. And, you know, the thrill of uh, seeing the Salaam Bombay, those letters on the marquee in New York City, Mira and I and all of us, we were there watching them put up the letters, you know. All that, you know, has conditioned me towards the big screen. But I must say the small screen is also equally attractive. The fantastic fact that, you know, I'm still getting tweets from people in Spain and, you know, writing in Tagalog on Twitter. That's an amazing thing that I never would have got with the old system. So I'm lucky that uh, I've experienced
0: both. Yeah, and well, I guess regardless of whether it's Netflix, a theater, or even a phone, actually, the most important thing is that what you've made is seen, right? Yes, Well, Suni, thank you so much for joining us today. I've learned so much about Ye Ballet and everything that went into making it, and I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. My pleasure.
0: That was our episode with director-screenwriter Suni Tarapourbala. You've been listening to The Credit Roll. And with that, we hope to have you join us for our next conversation.
1: The Credit Roll is an original podcast by Jamun. The show is hosted by Abhineet Kumar. Producers are Odeyan Bejal and Natasha Ratti Kapoor. Editors are Abhineet Kumar and Paras Korong. The artwork is by Sionatva Krambam. And the theme song is Song of Sadna" by Jesse Gallagher.